1: in four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: This is an Apostrophe podcast production.
2: As we regret to inform you The Rejection Podcast I turned 40 and hadn't had a breakout moment I was in debt, things weren't going the way I'd hoped they would Laverne Cox Growing up in Mobile, Alabama in the 1970s Laverne Cox says she heard music in her head. On the playground, at church on Sundays, at school and even in the supermarket, she'd dance around the produce aisle to I'll Be There by the Jackson Five. At bedtime, when she closed her eyes, she'd dream of Broadway, performing on the great stages of the world. She'd pray for fame. One day, her mother gave her and her twin brother a book about Black history, and she says she carried it around everywhere she went, until it was completely ragged. She'd spend hours looking at one photo in particular, of a 1960s opera singer named Leontine Price. Price was regal, stylish, and beautiful. Cox saw her future in that photo. So... By the time she turned six, she started begging her mother to put her into dance classes. And by the third grade, she got her wish. Her mother gave in and agreed to put Cox into jazz and tap classes, but not ballet. Her mother said ballet wasn't for boys. Cox told Time magazine that up until that point, she thought she was a girl in fact, she didn't see a difference between boys and girls to begin with. But over the following years, as puberty and gender socialization hit simultaneously, an inescapable truth stared Cox in the mirror every morning. She was assigned male at birth, and the things she loved, like dancing and Broadway, were seen as things only girls were allowed to love. She says she knew in her heart and her soul and her spirit she was a girl. But to the outside world, her femininity was seen as a problem that needed to be solved. As Cox waded into middle school, it became clear that the outward manifestations of her identity would become easy fodder for bullies. She says she was a black, feminine preteen from a working-class family who was starting to develop feelings for boys. Basically, she says she became a really fast runner. Every day on the bus ride to and from school, Cox and her twin brother would sit together anxiously. They knew within those yellow walls they were safe because the bus driver kept one eye on the rearview mirror. But as soon as those doors opened, it was like a starter pistol. The pair was off, sprinting to homeroom or darting into their home, hoping to outrun their tormentors. Cox says bullying is just a palatable term for what it really is. Violence. Being hunted, held down, and beat up. One day, Cox went to Six Flags on a church trip. Her mother had given her a quote, very little bit of spending money to use at the theme park gift shop. So, after hours of loop-de-loops and tilt-a-whirls, Cox popped into the crowded shop to see what she could find. And there it was, perfection. Hanging on the wall was a handheld fan. It had peacocks all over it. Cox says it was fabulous. She'd just seen Gone with the Wind for the first time and figured nothing was more Scarlet O'Hara than fanning oneself in the southern heat so she brought the purple fan home. But when she proudly paraded it around her third grade classroom, her teacher wasn't quite so charmed. As Cox fanned herself at her desk, her teacher summoned her into the hallway. She had Cox show and tell her new prized possession to another teacher down the hall. Then they called her mother. They told her mother, if you don't do something right now, your son is going to end up in New Orleans in a dress. And before she knew it, Cox found herself in a therapist's office. In that particular therapist's office in 1981 in Mobile, Alabama, the conversations weren't as progressive as one would hope. Presumably, there were no discussions deconstructing the gender binary or about the difference between sex and gender or even about the existence of transgender people. Cox remembers the therapist asking her if she understood the difference between boys and girls. And she says, in her infinite third-grade wisdom, she simply spoke her truth. She told her there was no difference between boys and girls. The therapist suggested to her mother that she be injected with testosterone to, quote, correct the problem. Her mother wasn't comfortable with the idea of injecting a nine year old with hormones, but she was just as desperate for her child to just act normal. She begged Cox to simply behave like a regular boy and told her the entire town was talking about how she appeared. Cox recalls this conversation as a defining moment in her life because it was the beginning of what would become a lifelong battle with shame. Her authentic self was outright rejected by her peers, her teachers, her therapist, the town, and even her mother. And by age 11, she'd had enough. Tired of being called racial slurs, homophobic slurs, called sinful, getting beaten up and constantly told she was a disappointment, tired of running, Cox, like a staggering number of transgender youth, decided to take her own life. Laverne Cox attempted suicide at just 11 years old. She says, but by the grace of God, she was unsuccessful. She says it was a direct result of the deep shame she'd felt and fear of disappointing her family. The very next morning, she decided to make a change. Even in the sixth grade, she understood that from that point on, she had to prioritize survival, both physical and emotional. And the best way to do that was to suppress her authentic self, to stow away her fan, her gender, and her sexuality, and to sit in the discomfort of presenting as a boy to make everyone around her feel comfortable. She hoped that maybe, one day, there would come a time where it was safe to be herself. But until then, Cox threw herself into school to stay busy. She says she became an overachiever, a straight-A student, Even a member of the National Junior Honor Society, awarded to students at the top of their class in academics, leadership, and character. She started putting pen to paper and realized she was a gifted writer, a talent that took her all the way to the county-wide public speaking championship, where she won first place. And something Cox says to this day is one of her most remarkable achievements— she was voted student council vice president. The classmates that only mere months before had terrorized her in the schoolyard were now voting for her to represent the student body. She says she'd gained their trust and gained valuable skills along the way. But the embers of her authentic self still flickered inside. And at age 14, she decided to fan them. The year was 1986. Cox had just bought her very first album, Culture Club's Kissing to be Clever. And her dreams of performing had only grown since those early days dancing around the grocery store. She says her ultimate goal became to move out of Alabama, but she still had four years left of high school. That's when she heard about the Alabama School of Fine Arts. Located in Birmingham, ASFA was a tuition-free boarding school that offered specialty arts programs like creative writing, music, theater, visual arts, and dance. It was still in her home state, but it was four whole hours away. Cox, of course, wanted to audition for their dance program, but ASFA only offered a ballet major at the time. And if you recall, Cox had been forbidden to take ballet classes in Mobile. So she decided to go with her next best shot at acceptance. And she sent in an application for the school's creative writing program instead. And lo and behold, she was accepted. Cox packed her bags and headed due north to Birmingham, Alabama. Throughout her time at the Alabama School of Fine Arts, Cox found the overwhelming pressure to conform eased off a little bit. Suddenly she was surrounded by like-minded people, fellow creative types who craved culture, style, and performance. She went to the Goodwill and Salvation Army to find eclectic pieces to put together a unique wardrobe. One pair of polyester leopard print bell-bottoms were a standout find. They would pool behind her as she walked the halls. She said they were quite the hit in Homeroom. Cox says it was around this time that she started embracing androgyny, which she says was a, quote, compromise, a first step in her gender expression journey. Cox started taking more and more dance classes, finally getting the chance to try ballet for the first time. It was everything she'd hoped it would be. And eventually, she was able to swap her major from creative writing to her true love of dance. Though art school proved to be a more welcoming space, she says she still faced hatred. Racial slurs in particular became more and more threatening, further solidifying her intention to leave Alabama. So after graduating high school, it was time Cox applied to Marymount Manhattan College to further her dance studies in their fine arts program. She got in, and the little girl who dreamed of dancing on the world's great stages was off to the Broadway. In her first week at Marymount College, Cox was walking down the hallway when a teacher from the theater department pulled her aside. They told her she'd be perfect for a play they were putting on called *Endora*. Cox had no lines. She said the role was the village idiot who just grinned and nodded in the corner. But she also says she kind of stole the show. And it was that day in that small role at the back of the stage where she says she was bit by the acting bug. Despite being a dance major, Cox started sneaking over to the theater department regularly, even though it was frowned upon. Performing became an outlet and, she says, a salvation. Cox says she learned a lot at Marymount, though her real education happened after school hours. It was the 90s in New York City. The hottest nightclubs had lines around the corner, Often, people standing on the curb all night just to eventually be turned away at the door. But it was all about the excitement. For the first time, Cox says she found herself in a city where gender expression was looked upon as something valuable. In New York, standing out was currency. Cox says she shaved her head and her eyebrows and wore false lashes every single day. All she wanted to do was to go out and dance and have fun. And it was there, on the club kids scene, that Cox first met transgender people. People with similarly conflicting inner dialogues, people who didn't fit neatly into a box. She met drag queens who wore suits and ties during the day and six inch heels at night. They transformed themselves using clothes and makeup so their outsides could catch up with their insides. It was a whole new world and Cox thought, If they can do this, why can't I? She says meeting real, live trans people melted away all misconceptions even she'd internalized. She was able to accept them fully, and in turn, able to accept herself. Over the next couple years, Cox says she began dressing more and more traditionally feminine. And in 1998, at age 26... Cox came out as a proud transgender woman. One day in her senior year of college, Cox was on the subway wearing some of her best thrift store finds. A paisley vintage coat with a faux fur collar, platform shoes, and a mini dress, when she was approached by a stranger. Turns out, she was being scouted, and was asked to appear in an independent film. She says she had box braids and too much makeup, and the biggest smile. It was her very first time in front of a camera, and everything about it felt right. Soon, she would appear in a number of student and indie films, and unpaid, off-off-off-Broadway parts, anything to get on stage. At night, she started performing in drag shows. Cox says she never identified as a drag queen, but it was an outlet and a safe haven. She got a job at a Lower East Side restaurant called Lucky Chang's, where she waited tables and performed in drag. Though, she says it wasn't all fabulous. Sometimes the art of drag is eclipsed by the perceived spectacle of it all. But those LGBTQ plus friends became her confidants, her heroes, and her chosen family. We'll be right back.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
2: Medically, transition is extremely expensive, and for Cox, like the majority of trans people seeking gender-affirming care, it would be paid almost entirely out-of-pocket, meaning it would take years to put that kind of money together. Cox continued waiting tables and performing in drag shows, but it barely brought in enough to cover her rent. There was no better time to try her hand at a professional acting career. She'd done enough independent and student films to put together a reel to show potential agents. Almost every single role on that reel was that of a trans character. But Cox didn't want to disclose to potential agents that she was trans. She wanted to lead solely with her talent. All they needed to know was that she was an actress. Though, she says, they probably knew. Cox was rejected by agents over and over and over again. While she watched her other acting friends endure the pilot season grind, she was waiting by the phone. Cox says the truth was, there were never any parts for a trans actress, which didn't make her a prime client for an agent. So if there was one single audition, the stakes were incredibly high, because there may not be another for six months or even a year and the few roles available weren't of substance. A year went by of straight rejection. Two years went by, then three years passed. Cox says she started to accept it was impossible to be openly trans and cultivate a successful career as an actress. She said, who do I think I am? Then, just after her 35th birthday, Cox turned on the television and saw something extraordinary. In September of 2007, an ABC show called Dirty Sexy Money premiered, featuring the first transgender actress to play a recurring transgender character on primetime television. That actress was Candace Kane. She had been a drag queen on the New York City club scene throughout the 90s. She, like Cox, had struggled for years to land a role of substance. And yet, there she was, playing Carmelita Rayner, love interest of Billy Baldwin, on network television. Cox says that moment was pivotal, not only for her, but for trans people everywhere. She felt seen, represented, and in turn, it gave Cox permission her mission to be out and proud about her aspirations as an actress, to have big dreams, not in spite of her transition, but because of it. The little girl with her peacock fan who danced around the supermarket was awakened inside, and Cox says she fell in alignment with her purpose. As the credits rolled after that first episode of Dirty Sexy Money, Cox started making postcards out of photos of herself with the line, Laverne Cox is the answer to all your acting needs, printed on the back. She had 500 postcards made and sent them to 500 agents. Then she waited. 496 agents rejected Laverne Cox. Then the phone rang. Four out of 500 agents agreed to meet with her one agreed to take her on as a client. In 2008, Cox landed her very first appearance on television, a single scene on Law & Order SVU. Shortly afterward, she'd land another small role on the franchise. She says Law & Order is really a rite of passage for a new actor in New York City. It felt promising. But then, a whole year went by without another role. Though she continued to perform in drag at Lucky Chang's, it was getting harder and harder to make rent. In fact, it was impossible. Between rent and the high costs of her medical transition, Cox was in debt, major debt. She received an eviction notice on her front door, and suddenly she was in housing court, fighting to keep her apartment. She said her greatest fear in life was becoming homeless, and she was this close. In 2009, Cox landed a one off role on the pilot of a new HBO series called Bored to Death, starring Jason Schwartzman, Zach Galifianakis, and Ted Danson. She would play the small part of, quote, transsexual prostitute. And it wouldn't be the last time. Over the next few years, Cox would be cast in one-off roles as a sex worker seven times. Cox says she has the utmost respect for anyone telling the stories of sex workers in a humanizing way. But on the flip side, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, or GLAD, reports that sex work is the most common profession for trans actors depicted on screen. In fact, one-fifth of trans characters in film and television are sex workers, a trope that often objectifies and exploits trans experiences, in particular, trans people of color, storylines sorely lacking in diverse, nuanced, and inspiring representation. But with so few options on the table, Cox was in no position to turn down work. (laughs) audition after audition, Cox was rejected for roles, many of which she didn't really want because the scripts were, quote, horribly offensive. The Washington Post reports that in a study of transgender characters on TV between the years 2002 and 2014— 88% of the episodes contained negative or mediocre representations, with anti-trans dialogue found in at least 60% of the storylines. Cox said many directors didn't understand how to speak to trans people, and many simply refused to hire her. Being a trans woman of color, she says many factors were at play, including transphobia, homophobia, racism— and sexism. One day, between auditions, walking along the streets of Manhattan, Cox passed a group of men on the sidewalk when they began shouting anti-trans slurs and purposefully misgendering her, loudly. Then they started surrounding her and it quickly became violent. Cox says between the fear and exhaustion, she began asking herself what she was doing wrong Why, despite everything she'd been through, people still weren't seeing her for who she was? Why were trans people still being harmed and killed at disproportionate rates? And that's when, in 2010, Cox decided to make her own opportunities. She created and produced a reality show called Transform Me, where three glamorous trans women, including herself— Gave makeovers to unsuspecting New York ladies in need of a glam squad. It was upbeat, aimed at showing trans women in a positive light, giving them total control of avoiding harmful stereotypes, and giving them a platform. Amazingly, the series got picked up by VH1. ABC said the show transformed women and television making Cox the first African-American trans woman to produce and star in her own TV show. Unfortunately, Transform Me was canceled after just one season, and Cox was back to auditioning. She says she's an advocate for over-preparing, because as a Black trans woman, you kind of have to be ready for anything. She spent hours perfecting her lines, then pouring her heart and soul into each audition. She was almost cast in a film called Adult World, but ultimately, she lost the part. The rejection was constant. In 2012, Cox turned 40 years old. She was buried in debt and nine months behind on rent. For a second time, she found herself in housing court, fighting to keep her landlord from kicking her out onto the street. And she thought, how many black trans women over 40 have careers in Hollywood? Heck, how many actresses period land roles after 40? And she decided then and there to give up acting. It was time to take the hint. Maybe she'd consider going back to school. In the meantime, she started researching the true story of Cece McDonald. McDonald was a transgender woman who was assaulted outside a bar in Minneapolis and stabbed her attacker in self-defense. McDonald was sentenced to 41 months in a men's prison. Cox says it's a story centered on trans misogyny and violence against trans women of color. She was interested in making a documentary to share McDonald's story. And just then, the phone rang. It was the casting agent from Adult World, a film Cox had auditioned for and been rejected for. They were casting a brand new television show for Netflix and looking to fill the role of a transgender prison inmate. A character named Sophia Bursett. Incarcerated for committing credit card fraud in a desperate attempt to afford her own gender-affirming surgeries. And a member of the main cast. So Cox went to the audition. The series showrunner said there, quote, wasn't really a big population of transgender African-American actresses in the country to draw from. But when Laverne Cox came in to audition for Sophia, she blew them all away. The show was based on a memoir by the same name, called Orange is the New Black. In 2013, Orange is the New Black premiered. And that day, Laverne Cox became the first trans woman of color to play a leading role on a mainstream scripted series. Of course, she kept waitressing at Lucky Chang's throughout the filming of the first season, to be safe. But as soon as the series landed on Netflix, it became an instant hit, and Cox became a full-time actress. In 2019, Netflix revealed that over 105 million people had watched at least a single episode of Orange is the New Black, making it the studio's most-watched original series. In its seven-season run, the show was nominated for 21 Emmys. Cox was nominated for four of those 21, making her the first openly transgender actress to be nominated for a primetime acting Emmy. Not only did she clear her name in housing court, but in 2018, at age 46, Cox adopted a new label, First Time Homeowner. Cox says Sophia Bursette is a nuanced and soulful character, one who struggles with being her authentic self, who grapples with fear of disappointing those she loves, who faces immense rejection. She's resilient, she's profoundly human, and above all, Cox says, she's a survivor.
0: For so many people we talk about in this series, the arts are their salvation. It's a space where they can find other people who are struggling to find acceptance, to create, to be noticed for who they are. Laverne Cox finally found that in the art schools she attended. They weren't without their bumps and bruises, but she could dance and act and express herself. When she immersed herself in the art of drag in New York, she again found another safer space. But being a black trans woman was always a dangerous place to be. Laverne has said that... Having the audacity to be true to yourself is an act of absolute courage. Even when 496 agents turned her down, she had an absolute unwavering persistence to be herself. Even when she was rejected by not just talent agents... But casting agents, producers, and directors, she persisted. When she was told there was no room for a black trans actor, she kept on pushing through the rejections. And it was her courage that eventually led her to an incredible career. But that didn't happen until Laverne Cox was 40 years old. It took almost 20 years of rejection before Orange is the New Black knocked on her door. It was the door she had waited her whole life to walk through. Along with the four Emmy nominations for Orange, she became the first transgender woman to win a Daytime Emmy as executive producer on a documentary she made called Laverne Cox Presents The T-Word that followed the lives of seven trans youth. It would be the first trans doc to ever win a Daytime Emmy, too. In 2020, Laverne Cox was the executive director of a Netflix documentary called Disclosure, about the history of trans people on screen. When asked who she wants to view the doc most, she said Hollywood producers, directors, and casting agents. Laverne wants to be the change agent to create a safe space for trans people in the entertainment industry. Never, ever, give up.
1: Laverne Cox, daughter, sister, artist, activist, actress, hashtag trans is beautiful.
2: The Rejection Podcast is an apostrophe podcast production and is recorded in an Airstream mobile recording studio. This series is hosted and written by me, Sydney O'Reilly. Research, Allison Pinches. Director, Callie O'Reilly. Engineer, Jeff Devine. We regret to inform you, our producer is Debbie O'Reilly. Theme music by Ian LaFever and Ari Posner. Major sources for this episode are listed in the show notes on our website, apostrophepodcasts.ca slash rejection. Follow us on social at apostrophepod. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. See you next time.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi.
1: Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: I'm being completely honest now, okay? Homelessness makes me uncomfortable. But then I think, at least it's not sleeping on the sidewalk with everything I own uncomfortable don't let homelessness assumptions get in the way of homelessness solutions go to canadacandoit.ca help the canadian alliance to end homelessness